Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Good morning, church. Uh, As always, I feel like I always start the same way, but I'm thankful to be here with you today. Uh, And I'm thankful to get to speak to you. Uh, I've loved our series that we have been in. We've been talking about what does the Bible say. And as someone who asks a lot of questions, um, sometimes to the point where I get on my wife's nerves, um, I love answering questions. And I love getting the opportunity uh, to discuss questions and discuss things. Um, And we've discussed a lot of different things over the past few weeks. And some of them, maybe you say, well, those don't really apply to me as much. I don't, you know, maybe I don't have that conviction or I don't have that struggle or something along those lines. Um, But today, what we're talking about is something that all of us can identify with. Uh, Every single person can identify with what we're talking about today. And the question is, what does the Bible say about reaching people different from our own culture and our own preferences? Which the, ample, or the, the answer is very, very simple, but I will get to that in a minute. We're going to be primarily in Acts chapter 10 today. Um, and at this point, the church has be, is being built by the apostles. Jesus has resurrected. Uh, he's, his last great commandment to them was in Acts 1, the Great Commission. And he told them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So the church is being built right now in this point. Acts is the building of the church, building of Christ's church by the apostles. And we get the opportunity to see all of the things that they went through. And as a younger man, before I began reading Scripture uh, as, as thoroughly as I do now, I always kind of thought that everything kind of just went super smooth and perfect. Right? Everything went great for them right off the bat. They had full instructions. They knew exactly what to do. And if you read Acts, we realize that's not the case at all. So the question that we are asking today is the same question that they were asking back then in Acts, in the building of the first church. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 today. Uh, And since this is a series about what the Bible says, I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. We're going to read a lot of the Bible today. Okay? So I'm not going to apologize for that because this is God's Word, but just be prepared for that part of it. Okay? So Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision of an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, And bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them, from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now there's a few things we've got to realize about Cornelius that kind of set him apart from most people who were in his context of the day. 
The first is that he was very religious, not in terms of the Roman gods, but in, in terms of the God of Israel. It says that he was devout. He feared God. He gave alms generously and he prayed continually. Listen, Cornelius was a good man. A very, very good man. We learn later that all the Jews respected him. He was well known by the Jews. And we've also got to realize that in this moment, that God sent an angel not to tell him the gospel, but God sent an angel to tell him to seek out one they call Peter which is a fulfillment of the Great Commission when Jesus, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. So in this moment, God uses the man Peter to fulfill this Great Commission for himself. Not the angel, but Peter. And as we can tell that Cornelius was faithful in doing that. Cornelius sent out a party to go find Peter. Now to understand more about Cornelius, he was a Roman soldier, not only a soldier, a commander, not only a commander, but he was part of the Italian cohort. Now the Italian cohort was made up of strictly Roman citizens from Italy. So they were the most trusted of trusted, like they were the guys. It wasn't just, you know, this wasn't just some, some random outfit. This was a very special and very intentional uh, unit that he was a part of, that he was a leader of. And as a Roman soldier, he's kind of a symbol of the occupation of the Jews, of Israel, by the Romans. But it's important to know one thing, that Cornelius was a good man. Cornelius was not a saved man. Oftentimes we get those things mixed up. Again, a stunning recommendation of Cornelius talking about him. You know, he was faithful, he was this, but he was not a believer. And that's important to understand. But God chose someone to go to him. God chose Peter to go to him. And he couldn't have been more different than Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is a Roman. Peter is a Hebrew. Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter is a Jew. Cornelius is a military leader. Peter is a guy who missed his target and instead cut his ear off. Far from a military leader. The exact opposite. He's a fisherman turned minister. This is not, these people could not be more different in their context. And we see Peter's had a pretty incredible life at at this point from the time of the ascension of Christ. Christ had told him in Matthew chapter 16, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So he had been given the keys to the kingdom. And at the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who preached whenever the Holy Spirit descended on the men there. 3,000 were added that day. When we see the Samaritans, Philip preaches to the Samaritans and he gives them the gospel and they call John and Peter to pray for the Holy Spirit to descend on them. So at this point, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Peter's been part of Judea and Samaria. And now we're going to get to the ends of the earth. So we see in verse 9, The next day, as they went on their journey and approached the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. This is about lunchtime, about 12. And he became hungry and wanted to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common 
or unclean. Now, it's important to note where Peter is staying at this point. He's staying with Simon, a tanner. A tanner is someone who made leather. Uh, they process leather goods, which means they're around dead animals a lot, meaning that they're ceremonially unclean most of the time. So already we see that Peter is beginning to take and give some of that law over. He's staying with, this, with Simon the tanner, which means that uh, he's staying with someone who's ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. This is not something that Jews just did all the time. So already he's, la- he's laxed on this a little bit. But we see here this one thing that he's holding on to. This one thing he cannot seem to let go of. He's sitting here. He's hungry. The sheet descends. There's all this stuff. And he's like, oh, you know, Lord, I have never, ever, ever given up on this. I've never eaten anything that's uncommon or anything that's unclean. Lord, I have never done that. It's almost, again, it's a point of pride for Peter. It's kind of like when I was younger and my mom would give me a list of things to do and I hadn't done any of them except for that one. And when she asked about that one, I was like, I did that one. Yes, ma'am, I did that one. That one, right? The most, some would say it's the most important, mom. That's the one I did, right? Well, that's, that's kind of what Peter's doing. He's like, listen, that one thing that we really hang a lot on you know, what we eat, being set aside for what we eat. Yes, yes, sir, Lord. Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice came to him again and said, What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was there. So of all things, of all the ways that God could have got Peter's attention with this, why food? Why food? Well, there's a couple of reasons, like we discussed earlier. Food was something that set Jews apart from Gentiles. It wasn't just the exact food you could eat. There's certain preparation methods. There's all sorts of things that go into this. Which to this day, which is why people, Jews who follow a kosher diet, they primarily live in bigger cities and they primarily live in those communities because that's the whole point of what this was. It was to set them apart. It was supposed to make it difficult for them to join with Gentiles and to join in and eat alongside them. Eating is something we do very commonly. This was another way God had set them apart. So in this moment, this is what God is trying to teach Peter. That what I have made unclean is not common. Also, it just so happened to be where Peter was at the moment. Peter's hungry. God speaks to him about food. Very clearly, very straightforward. And it made him difficult to get along with the Gentiles in this moment. So God gives him this and then explains what's happening. He says, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So with that, that without hesitation is important. It'd be very easy for Peter to question, you know, Lord, why? You know, why are you wanting me to do this? Like, are you sure they're Gentiles? Maybe I have a bad connection here. Like, maybe this, I'm misinterpreting this. And he says, no, without hesitation, I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Not telling them exactly 
what he had to say. But listen, he, God told him, sent an angel to him saying, hey, get Peter and tell him to come to you and hear what he has to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all of his relatives and close friends. And whenever Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. So Cornelius, at this point, we see him kind of slipping into those old habits. Again, Romans God, you've got, with the Roman God, you have a God for everything. And at this point, he says, okay, well, I've heard of Jesus. Everyone in the area had heard of Jesus at this point and about what he had done. Whether you believed him or not, you had heard of him. So he comes down, he sees Peter, okay, this is the man. So clearly I'm, I'm, I'm to fall down and worship him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? So Peter's out of his comfort zone at this point. He's not even supposed to be in the house of a Gentile. So he goes in and he says, listen, uh, which by the way, you've traveled two days. You've sent this guy to come talk to you. And he comes in here and the first thing he says is, you know it's unlawful for me to associate with you. But God has shown me. I should not call any person common or unclean. Which means at one point Peter was calling them unclean, which is just a little bit strange way to start this conversation off when you're in this person's house, right? So he tells him this. He said, listen, I've been told not to think this, to show no partiality, no distinction. Why have you sent for me? Cornelius tells him. He said, listen, I've, I've told that you would tell me something that me and my family might be saved. And Peter shares the good news with those who have gathered at Cornelius' house. So he shares the story of the gospel, telling them, listen, I know you've all heard of him. Well, here's why it's necessary. Here's what happened. And Peter gets interrupted by the Holy Spirit here. <clears throat> While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, it's easy for us to read this and to say, okay, so this is just Peter ministering to someone else. It's so much more than that. This is a fulfillment of Peter going about the Great Commission. He had been given the keys to heaven. He was the one who proclaimed the gospel and prayed, and the Holy Spirit descended on those in Judea. He was the one who prayed, and the Holy Spirit descended on those in Samaria. And now he's the one who presents the gospel and prays, and it descends on the ends of the earth, or the Gentiles. To the point where you can, again, it says that those who are of the circumcision party, so the Jews with him, were amazed that the Holy Spirit had come on the Gentiles. They were blown away by this. And Peter, you can almost imagine Peter getting really excited. Obviously, he's been seeing people come to know the Lord. And this was a whole other group, a whole other group, largely the large part of the world coming to know 
the gospel. Gentiles being opened up, not just the Jewish nation, but these Gentiles who were coming to know Christ and the Holy Spirit was descending on him. And he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter gets excited in this moment. This was the fulfillment of him having the keys. He had opened the door to the Gentiles. He had opened the door to the Jews. He had opened the door to the Samaritans. And this was the fulfillment of it. In our lives, God has called us to reach people with the gospel. Not just people like us. Oftentimes it's easy to see people who are different than us and think they're too different. But there's a thing, there's this common thread that bonds us together. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And fortunately, we have John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever Whoever. Scripture tells us that God did not give us a spirit of fear. We are called to share the gospel with people. This is part of the program. Part of being a believer means that we become, uh, we come to, that we want to share the gospel with people. And, and as far as going, well, they're too different. Well, again, if we say, well, I can't, I can't share the gospel with somebody who's that different from me, from a different socioeconomic background, of a, of a different race, of a different... Input whatever you want. So that means that it should be easier to share the gospel with people who are more like us. People who share our values. People who spend money like us. People who enjoy the same activities as us. People who share our DNA. So our family should be easiest. But most of us, whenever asked, and, talk about, and we talk about it, we say, well, the hardest person, or the hardest people to share the gospel with is our family. So what's the difference? Where do we draw the line? At the end of the day, our excuses paint us into a corner and we just have to admit that we just don't want to. They're too different. They're too much alike. There's no middle ground. We're called to show no distinction. We have to make no distinction. It doesn't matter who they are. We are called to go to people with the gospel. Black, white, gay, straight, atheist, Muslim, whatever you want to look at, whatever anyone looks like, we are called to show no distinction. At the end of the day, people are separated into two camps. And this is all the only way we're allowed to make a distinction between people. Number one, they're either brothers and sisters through Christ who have given their lives to Jesus. Or they're people who are broken, who are lost and in need of a Savior. Regardless, we're called to encourage them. If they're, brother, if they're our brother and sister in Christ, we're called to encourage them with the words of the Lord. Encourage them as a member of the body of Christ. If they're not, then we're called to encourage them to point them in the direction of the Savior who has saved us. These are our only two choices. These are our only two distinctions that we are called to make. Not, well, they're way too different than me. Well, they're way too much like me. Well, they're just right in the middle of different, and that's, that's just too weird. Those are the distinctions that we're called to make. And regardless, regardless of which distinction you make, we are called to encourage them through prayer, through ministering, through reminding them who Jesus is and what he has done for us. 
We're also called to encourage people to look like Jesus, not like us. Sometimes God sends us out of our way to teach us a lesson. For instance, we know at this same moment when, when Peter went the 30 miles to Joppa, we know that Philip was ministering in, or 30 miles from Joppa. Philip was in Caesarea at the time ministering, but Philip wasn't the one who needed the lesson. Peter was. To tell him that it wasn't, they don't have to look just like you. They don't have to be Jews. They don't have to abide by that. Our job is not to make people look like us, but to point people to a merciful and gracious God. These Judaizers insisted that one must be a Jew to follow Christ. Well, well, they have to do everything that we, we did before as long as they accept Christ, but they have to do all these other things. The problem with that is, and this doesn't just go for the Judaizers, this goes for us as well. The problem with that is that by insisting that someone has to do more than believe that through Christ that we are saved by grace through faith, the problem with that is that means that Christ's grace is insufficient. Whenever we say, you know what, they have to look just like me. Well, you need to change your lifestyle to look just like mine. The problem with that is that we are saying, you know what, Christ isn't enough. But what will get you to heaven is if you look like me. God help us. If that's the line that we draw. And God taught Peter this lesson, that to truly love folks means to push them to Jesus, not to push them to our own personal preferences. That is not what we are called to do. And, again, back to the whole, they had their problems in the first century church. Peter gets called up for his actions. He says, now the apostles and the brothers, this is chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So these people who had been saying, Well, you have to be a Jew to be saved. You have to follow the law. You have to do all of the things that we already do. You have to do that in order to be saved. They hear about this, you know, about the Gentiles hearing the word of God, and they say, How? How, You know, how dare you, Peter? You went and you ate with uncircumcised, or you went and ate with uncircumcised men. How dare you do that? Peter recounts his experience, telling them that the Lord sent me a vision. He told me to come there. I went there. I shared the gospel. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit descended on them. And he says this, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So these people who were saying, well, they have to look just like us in order to know the Lord. They have to look like me. We're Jews. We're, we're, we're God's chosen people. We do all of these things. We have the law. He's given us all these things. They need to do the same thing that we've been doing. And Peter said, well, the proof's kind of in the pudding, right? The Holy Spirit descended on them. 
Who am I to deny them that? Who am I to stand in the Lord's way with my preferences? Far too often, what we feel like, what we see in our lives, well, in order for someone to know the Lord, they have to look like me. They have to act like me, talk like me, do the things that I do. But listen, that's not the way life is. We are, we are a very diverse group of believers. And part of, the being, part of being part of the body of Christ means that the most important thing that defines me, that makes me who I am, also defines and makes the person who I have nothing in common with. It makes us brothers in Christ. It, makes, it means that we're part of the body. It means we might have nothing else in common, but we've got the most important thing in common. And that's enough. Well, like they just, I, I don't like people who are different than me. Listen, God never calls you to live a comfortable life. You will never look in Scripture and see where God called you to live a comfortable life. God, or the Scriptures call Paul a, or a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee. You don't think God, you don't think Paul ever felt uncomfortable with what God, God called him to? To minister to the Gentiles? Paul lived his life uncomfortably. He lived it out of his comfort zone. Peter didn't just flip a switch and say, well, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm totally fine with this now. No, he rested on faith and he knew that the Lord was leading him to this despite it being out of his comfort zone. Mark 16, 15 does not say, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to everyone who looks, talks, thinks, and acts just like you. Instead, it says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. By the way, the, all of this, this isn't the last time this comes up in the church. In Acts 15, we read about the Jerusalem Council, and they met to establish if Gentiles needed to adhere to the law of Moses. Paul and Barnabas had been going about ministering to these Gentiles, and these people who, by the way, they're still stuck in Judea. They haven't gone to the ends of the earth. And they're saying, no, they have to follow the law. They have to follow the law. And Paul and Barnabas are like, you're crazy. They've received the Holy Spirit. Why would we expect anything else of them? And they go back and forth and it says that they had a heated debate. And it was Peter who stood up and defended the conversion of the Gentiles saying, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Waning cleansed their faith, cleansed their hearts by faith. We are called to show no distinction. We are called to not look at someone and say they're too different, they're too much alike. We're called to look at people and to say they need the gospel and to go. Whether they're across the road or whether they're, or whether they're across the world. So the answer to the question, what does the Bible say about reaching people different from our own culture and preferences is very simple. The answer is yes. Do it. Show no distinction. This is what we're called to do as believers. God did make us, God does not give us the Holy Spirit so that we can be fearful and hoard it or only give it to people just like us. God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could be emboldened to share the life giving gospel with people that we sit next to every day, that we talk to every day, whether they're family members or whether they're someone who is nothing like us, God has equipped us with a spirit of power in order to share the gospel with people. So to answer the question, yes, 
do it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love, for your mercy. God, thank you for saving a sinner like me. Um, I don't deserve it. I'm I'm not. uh, I can do nothing to contribute to my own salvation. But God, you have you have blessed me far beyond measure, Lord. And I pray that as we go out today that we, we put aside our personal biases, we put aside uh, our personal preferences, God, and we see that the most important thing is you. The most important thing is you. God, may we look at people who are different than us, not as, not as people to avoid or people to not go near, but as people who need you. God, we believe that your gospel can change even the hardest of hearts. We believe that your gospel can reach even the farthest of people. So, Lord, I pray that today, knowing that truth, understanding that truth, we act on that truth and that we go into the world and we preach the gospel to every living creature. Maybe today uh, there's somebody in your life who you know is who you've walked past time and time and time again because they're just too different. Or maybe it's a family member and you say, Blake, I've got to have a relationship with this person. I can't risk that. I ask you, what is that relationship worth risking for then? If not the gospel, then what? If not Jesus, then who? Maybe you need to pray for that person in your life. Pray not just for them to come to know the Lord, but pray that an opportunity comes to you to share the gospel with them. Jesus told us that we would be his witnesses. Us. We get the honor and the privilege to do that. So maybe today you need to pray, God, give me an opportunity. Give me the green light. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.